0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast.
1: I'm Joe Devine and I'm joined now by Alex Stewart. Hello, Alex. Hey, Joe. How are you? I'm good. I'm great. That's good news. Fine. Also... Ah, guten tag, Herr Stafford Bloor. Wie geht's still? Guten tag, Herr Dewey. Wie geht's is good. Wie geht's is good. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Had a lovely weekend of uh, football watching, including AFCON, the start of AFCON, African Cup of Nations, which we will be talking a little bit about today, uh, including Cameroon and uh, Burkina Faso, Ethiopia, Cape Verde. Very exciting stuff. Um, also today, we will be talking about some of the Bundesliga uh, I watched uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, Borussia Dortmund over the weekend. That was a fun game. Leipzig played Mainz to Bayern lost on the Friday. We don't touch on that. bit interesting stuff. And one Dijon to Italy so that uh, Seb can moan again about Mourinho. It never gets old, Seb. Never. No, nah, fresh as a daisy. Yes, there we go. FA Cup uh, third round replay also happened um, this weekend. But I don't think anybody watched any of that. So we're probably not going to talk about that. Uh, But there are some transfer things that have occurred. Um, Philippe Coutinho to Aston Villa, Luca Degna to Aston Villa, other good players, I'm sure, will have moved to Aston Villa by the end of the day as well. So, you know, there'll be loads to discuss there, which we pick up towards the end of the podcast. And if you want to keep on top of all things that are good and good for you, you should visit The Athletic. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, one of the greatest places in the world to get facts and get them in a fun way about things you like The Athletic theathletic.com forward slash it really is worthwhile 30 day free trial as well so if you don't like it just cancel it it's fine yeah you won't want to do that though because it's very good there we go uh, now uh, for today's episode I will leave you in the warm hands and the oh so cool embrace of the African Cup of Nations Let's begin with AFCON, African Cup of Nations, hosted in Cameroon this year. Very exciting. Technically called AFCON 2021 for the same reasons that the Euros were Euros 2020. uh You know, a scar of the pandemic there, of course. But it's happening. Uh, I, I enjoyed watching the opening game, Seb. Uh, Cameroon 2 1 Burkina Faso. Strange game. Bit of a strange game. <laughs> lots of interesting moments but uh, mainly i felt like i don't know if maybe we'll come back and talk to alex about the the tactical setup from cameroon later which in the first half didn't appear to work at all maybe alex will have a different opinion but in in terms of uh of uh, action action packed
2: yeah so i had a little bit of a technical glitch so i was actually watching on a delay with you throwing spoilers at me and one of them was the kind of the reveal about the tackle a minute into the tournament so older viewers will remember some of the tackling from the first game of italia 90. this was better this was a kind of welcome to the tournament moment i just i can't believe that survived the red card that that was just
1: <laughs> it was uh Iago was the Burkina Faso. it was a best. real no
2: nonsense yeah. tackle it was a kind of um i i think it was a classic first game of the tournament in the sense that there was a, just a little bit too much adrenaline everywhere and i think also uh i don't know what alex thinks about this but i, I felt a little bit like cameroon not buckled under the pressure because they still won the game they're a little bit inhibited by the pressure of hosting the tournament and uh, that showed in a few moments especially actually especially in the second half because um they had a few chances to cut off the game to make it 3-1 and it felt as if some of the decision making deteriorated a little bit actually one of the one of the, the better moments of the game was um the tackle which led to the second penalty and it's as clear a penalty as you can see. The referee awards it quite rightly. Good decision, and I, you know there were very, very few complaints from any of the Burkina Faso players. But.
1: The player that gave away the penalty just looked at the ref with just incredulity. Just, what? <laughs> yeah. Nailed on penalty. Yeah, that was good. I quite enjoyed the fouls in that game. A couple of other things I enjoyed from that game before we get to the tactics. There were technical uh, difficulties. I don't know if your feed uh, had this, mm. if if, um, if you had this in Germany, but there were technical difficulties which resulted in the scoreboard sort of disappearing for most of the match. Like the, gra- the overlay graphics weren't appearing. But also during that time, A little bit inconsistent, but at times there was no transitional animation between replays and live game, and it really struck me how subtle but how important that is, just to orient me as to which time I'm in right now. When there's a hard cut from a replay back to present time, I lose all orientation. I thought that was. Do do you remember when you used to watch like old time football, and when? Um, when we were kind of at the vanguard
2: of the uh, the dawn of the replay era, like replays just used to have in the top left-hand corner the word replay flashing. Replay. But yeah, flashed. and so yeah. there was a kind yeah. of a time before you needed clever transitions. But I never really considered it from that perspective. But yeah, I agree completely. Yeah, yeah. it's
1: like it's it's vitally yeah. important psychologically, I think, for the TV viewer. Uh, and it's funny how yeah, you know, it's extremely subtle, something that you would not notice at all until it was gone. But there were lots of fun moments in this game. And something I wanted to ask you, Alex, about was a Cameroon setup. Because ahead of the game there was there was only five minutes of sort of pre-match roll on TV here before the game began. But the broadcasters had, I think it was Cameroon as a two-four-four, which was I wasn't correct, I know, but uh, was the the, co- the commentator who uh, who was discussing it seemed a little bit bewildered and surprised. But there we go. Also had Burkina Faso as, as a sort of strange formation as well. Cameroon were doing something I couldn't quite work out, and none of the formations I looked at online that they had them playing appeared to be what they were actually playing. It sort of changed rather fluidly throughout the game, didn't
3: it, but interesting. Yeah, so the the basic premise, I think, in terms of how it was laid out, and certainly with the, the couple of apps that I checked, showed that Cameroon were using a three at the back system with wing backs and two up front. And to be fair with Cameroon, they have used both a three and a four during World Cup qualifying. So that was entirely plausible. What was interesting, though, was that their ostensible left wing back who was wearing number three was Ungamulu was actually playing as like an inverted right sided midfielder as if he were like on the right hand side of a central midfield diamond kind of, but then kambei was playing as one of the two strikers but was drifting very very wide left, and Gue was dropping off between the center backs rather than Anguissa basically it was one of those things where the information that you're provided at the beginning of a game as some sort of guide was completely off and I don't know whether that was because Konsei Sao had submitted a slightly not I don't want to say dodgy team sheet but something that would make Burkina Faso were lined up as a fairly orthodox four two three one, and they would have thought oh okay well we can match in these wide areas and blah 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 this is what's going to happen and then and then, of course, Cameroon really changed it. Their fullbacks kind of inverted slightly. They tucked in a little bit and, and formed like a 2-5-3. But it was Ungamulu uh, who had this kind of really weird free role that you would not expect from somebody who actually ordinarily plays as a left wing back or a left midfielder as well. And I think that was their kind of effort to be surprising and disruptive for what Burkina Faso would have prepared for. Uh, and at times it worked. At times it was really good and, and they were able to get that kind of 2-3-5 system with lots of rotation and reorientation in the in the front line of that attacking bit. And the goal that I think was disallowed for offside came from Ngamulu making this really good run into the box and shooting. But yeah, there were a lot of times where it seemed slightly disjointed
1: as well. Yeah. Um, it certainly had the feel of uh, an opening tournament game with some nerves it was it was quite chaotic at times wasn't it and you could see that the plans were there but they just for half half of the game at least it didn't really seem to work what what, what surprised interested me was um Burkina Faso of course they weren't coming into the game as favorites I'm fairly certain Cameroon would have been considered favorites within this game but they're an outsider for the game but for the tournament as a whole they're not exactly an outsider I think they'll be expected to qualify from the group probably um they could go some way Uh, so it's not an easy first game for Cameroon Bikina Faso—they seemed to hold Cameroon very well. They just didn't create very much, did they? They scored their goal from what seemed like their first opportunity, although there were two uh, exactly just before that. And one thing I wanted to pick up on before we move on was uh, Anana's goalkeeping, which for most of the game was very good and actually improved as the game went on. But there was this—there was the moment for the Bikina Faso goal where a cross has just sort of—he's misread a cross coming in. It swerved past him, almost hit the crossbar. And when the cross for the goal comes back in, which is immediately after that, you have this sort of feeling watching him that he's decided to come for that ball <laughs> regardless of whether he can get it or not. A fantastic finish, so not to say that it wouldn't have been a goal anyway. Uh, but it was one of those one of those moments you see in goalkeeping sometimes where you, you're essentially watching someone decide to take control of a situation before they have any real information, which is a real sign of confidence. Uh, and it's something I'm sure goalkeepers have to do and will sometimes get wrong. I remember
2: you texting me this, and it's, it's a really good point because it's like, obviously, Andre Nana hasn't played a lot of football recently. He's just um, served out his ban. Yeah. For listeners uh, who don't know,
1: will you just go over
2: that? As yeah, well? so that? he cool. accidentally took a pill. He, he took a, um, some medication that was actually um, prescribed to his wife. I think it might have been a, a pregnancy pill of some kind. Um, he was trying to take uh, his fashion events, he was trying to take a, a paracetamol, and he took a pill which looked very much like a paracetamol. And we should say that that explanation has been accepted. But he served out a ban anyway because the the thing that he took was on the uh, banned substance list.
3: It's weird. That's
2: weird. Yeah. Is, there, there's
1: no, is there no just no flexibility there? With I don't know. I, if, if they accept the, uh, the 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 reason being an accident. Well, no I, I suppose because the ban was nine yeah, months long, shortened from yeah, a year. So um, I think it got down
2: to nine months as a result of them accepting his explanation. But I, I suppose, and I say this without really understanding doping regulations at all, but. I suppose regardless of what your explanation is you have still taken a banned substance and it's still in your body and so theoretically what you gain some kind of advantage from that I don't know if that's the case but that that, that would be me following the logic through but so your, your point about goalkeeping yeah. I, I played in, in goal when I was at school if you have a bad touch there's this weird impulse that you have to then kind of correct your, your
1: equilibrium yeah. by having a really good touch and that felt like particularly if you don't touch the ball exactly often that. and in this game Onana was certainly the less busy well, also the can office.
2: you imagine being Andre Nana so you sat out the last year of your career you haven't played really any club football and then you come into a tournament that your country's hosting as a key player for your country because yeah. uh, if they're going to win the tournament, uh, Andre Adana is going to have a very, very good tournament. And so can you imagine the nerves and the expectation and the pressure? And you have a moment like that. And the cross that nearly went in, the first cross that nearly went in, that came back off the bar, I think that was a worse sort of aesthetic than what eventually happened. Mm-hmm. So I have some sympathy for him. And he, he kind of recovered. He, he had a pretty decent game afterwards. And um, he is a very, very good goalkeeper. So I'm sure it's just a kind of a first night nerve situation,
3: a bit of rustiness perhaps. I think yeah. it's, it's tricky as well, though, for that, that second cross where obviously he gets kind of basically body blocked off by the attacker that's coming in to challenge him. Burkina Faso did have two guys over at the far post and there was only one defender from from Cameroon there. So although I think you're right about that commitment to that decision ahead of time to rectify the previous error... It is also probably one he should have gone for
1: anyway, just because of the fact that... The stars align, psychologically and practically, it made sense. It just to, didn't to work. To me, a little bit. Yes, I think so. I think it's one of those things that goes. If you, like
2: With goalkeeping, so in that situation, you're making the decision to come for a ball or not come for a ball, within split seconds of the 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 crosser releasing the cross and one of the things that goes i suppose it's a little bit like um you know not being able to chip and part you know if you you don't play golf very often it's the same kind of thing that sort of discussed in that sport if you're not playing if you have no familiarity you lose all of these little instinctive abilities which kind of underpin your game and which kind of provide that basic level of security and that was that i think the first one is that i think the second one is is what joe is describing as kind of i need i need a commanding moment i'm andrea nana i'm important i'm my first choice i'm the first choice goal in my country here am i i'm coming for this ball i'm going to take it it feels a little bit like that. I, I'm not sure the kind of the, the blockers make that much difference. I think he should just come through that crowd anyway, and I think he would under normal circumstances.
3: I liked his yeah. distribution. He has a wonderfully. I love this throwing
1: you, he Yeah, the netball pass. Push it out of the chest. Yeah, the neck pass. Is that what you? No, call no, it? netball pass. Yeah. I oh, thought well. <laughs> you... you called it the neck pass because he's passing it
3: from his neck. In, in netball, you're taught, generally speaking, to pass with that kind of like pulsing motion away from your chest. Nets. Yeah, um, and I also thought his he has a very fluid overarm distribution as well it's like a really nice movement he doesn't the ball doesn't get caught up in his hand it's one smooth kind of bowling motion almost and there are a couple yeah. of times when Cameroon could get good counter away because he was very alive to that so right. I think that bodes well for him
1: sure Absolutely, well, well done, Cameroon. The other game, of course, they have. Happen- In fact, before I, before we talk about the other game, I wanted to share a great resource which has been shared on on, uh, on Twitter. A uh, friend of the podcast, Tiago Estevao, has uh, collaborated with a couple of friends. Tiago is, is a football data scientist. Uh, his friends uh, Biff Miller and uh, Ribeiro on Twitter. Uh, this uh, this uh, document itself was shared by the account Free Wooly, I think that's how you say it. This person, Max, has, uh, has put this on Twitter. It's a 2021 Africa Cup of Nations preview document. It's a very useful uh, resource for anyone who's watching along, doesn't know loads about the players or wants to know more about the squads. I had the pleasure of uh, talking to Thiago the other day and him tell me uh, that it was quite difficult for the team to cover the tactical element of sudan just because there's really no <laughs> there's very very limited footage available uh so bless their hearts they've done a fantastic job and it's really uh it's very engaging watch along material if there's, you want to um, go and go and look at it
3: there's also some good stuff on the
1: athletic with afcon Mahab
3: mazahi is doing some coverage um he's a yes. very very good freelance african football journalist and he's He's doing some stuff which is great and very I greatly enjoyed
1: the big preview, all the stories. That helped me learn that Burkina Faso weren't a team that was supposed to go out of the groups, but weren't a team that was supposed to make it to the end. Now, if someone could teach me how to say that in a better way, that would be (laughs) great. Maybe I'll go back and read more of The Athletic. The other game that happened, and we should stress, by the way, we're recording this on a Monday. It'll go out on a Tuesday. Senegal have played today. In fact, they played just after we finished recording. So I'm, I'm going to actually sit out and watch that game, I think. We won't talk about every game in depth as we go, because otherwise we'll end up just talking about the games that happen immediately before we speak. But it's a, the other opening day game was between Ethiopia nil one Cape Verde and uh, interestingly enough thank you to everyone who uh, who sent me tweets and emails over the uh, over the weekend telling me responding to my request for you guys to tell me which team to follow i decided i was going to follow cape verde i didn't watch the game though so <laughs> I'm starting as I mean to go on. But um, I was won over by the people who suggested that I follow Cape Verde. And I like the colour of their kit. So I've decided that'll be my team. Uh, Then they won the game, Seb. Yeah,
2: I did. And uh, it wasn't a great game. But there was one real moment of quality. Well, two. The second one we'll talk about in a minute. But I thought the Rodriguez cushioned volley to set up the Tavares goal was just brilliant. It was my favourite bit of skill from the two games. It's cross to the back post. And it's that really difficult ball where you've got a defender coming across. You're, you're on the run and you're taking the ball out
3: of midair, and he just cut it back perfectly. And it was Tavares could miss that bit of skill, which was beautiful. We did a video way back with working with the Bundesliga on Kai Havertz, and there's a Havertz assist when he's at Leverkusen still, which is basically exactly the same. And it mm. makes you realize how oh, difficult yeah. that thing is that that, that that kind of sticks in your mind as something you've seen before. Because it just doesn't happen often. No,
2: no, no. it's a ball to the back post, which also, you know, it's moving at quite a pace. And so to control it and not to just skew it off for a goal kick. But actually, this might have been relegated to second place. So uh, Ethiopia had a man sent off. There was a wayward back header, which led to Tavares going through on goal and a centre back committing a foul as the last man. Uh, initially, the referee gave a yellow card and Cape Verde lined up the free kick, which just as VAR intervened to tell the referee to come to the screen, Cape Verde player just put it in the top corner. It's absolutely wonderful free kick. I don't know. I don't know if the TV cameras caught it. And it didn't. It stand? It didn't stand because the the Cape Verde players went off celebrating, and the referee was or had already turned his back and was running to the VAR monitor. And then, I mean, I, I suppose the saving grace was that he then upgraded the yellow card to a red, quite rightly, because the the Ethiopian defender was the last man, and it was. Yeah. not a good decision to only give me yellow in the first place but the tournament was denied what would have been the best goal of the of the first day which was a real shame and, and it was and you could see the disappointment not just the kind of we haven't taken the lead but I you know I've just scored an absolute banger in an international tournament it's just been taken away <laughs> and it was also it's like I know the referee isn't watching but it feels like it should have counted because every other player on the pitch was paying attention everybody thought the play was live goalkeeper tried to go for it you, you know so it, by, by every measure other than the referees it was a goal so real shame but um I, I suppose at least at least Cape ended up winning and uh, getting their goal in the in the end
1: yeah absolutely uh I'm just having a look, quick look at the Senegal lineup this is the game I'm going to big old uh COVID outbreak day. in the uh Senegal camp yeah I was going to say is that is that um uh what's the name of the um center back who plays in Italy Kulabali? yeah he, so down, Koulibaly and Kobe? Mendy are both Edward Mendy oh. the Chelsea keeper are both out apparently that's um, a shame Okay, still a fantastic team, though. We've got Mane and Idrissa Gay in here, and Coyote are from uh, Crystal Palace as well. That's a decent team, isn't it? Very yeah, good yeah they're probably the
3: favourites, aren't they,
1: San So Algeria um, also. Yeah. Who could say? Well, I'm sure we'll come back and discuss more AFCON uh, next week. Uh, it, as I said, it won't be a sort of tactical in-depth review of, of, of each game uh, because um, uh, we probably won't have the time to do that. But we'll pick our favourite moments from watching the tournament over the next week, and uh, we will discuss that with you on monday if you are indeed going to watch along but for now we go to a break
4: looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard it right you can talk to a real human in customer service any time sounds like a real game changer if you ask me Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: Okay, that was a nice break. Eintracht Frankfurt 2, 3 Borussia Dortmund. Now, as I trailed at the beginning, Seb, I, uh, for a change, decided to watch some Bundesliga this weekend. I picked this game, watched the first half, thought cracking Frankfurt display, 2-0. Couldn't see a way back for Dortmund. And then I went to have dinner with uh, with my partner and uh, missed what sounded like a lot of fun. You did, you did. And I, I feel partly responsible because we were
2: talking about Eintracht's performance in the first half and you were like, oh, you know, I, you know Dortmund... You were surprised at how poor Dortmund were, and I said, Well,
1: I thought they no, were no, this is
2: kind of what they do. And you also said, Oh, you know, you why know, can't on Erling Holland just score like five goals? Um,
1: I just wanted to yeah. see him do one of the big hit, one big hit S- goals,
2: fast so, hit So, yeah, I, I don't know what that is, but yeah, <laughs> a fast hit goal, I it's it's a new metric, it's FB ref, right? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um But this is kind of who Dortmund are. So there's a lot of negativity in their fan base and there's a lot of despondency and particularly before games, they kind of ignore the fact that they're actually second in the Bundesliga and they win most of their matches. The problem for them, I think, uh, just my opinion, is that they are a group of individuals. So if you think about what Dortmund used to be at their pinnacle under Jurgen Klopp and to a lesser extent Thomas Tuchel, uh, they were a system team they used to beat you with their system and with their structures and they used to exert a level of pressure on their opposition that the opposition can cope with now it feels like Dortmund's system is non-existent for periods during games. You just, that you see them... It's fairly, it's
1: really well, interesting. You, that. It sounds like a manual. Uh, yeah, this is the
2: thing. This is, I, I would actually draw a parallel between today's Dortmund and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United in the sense that they can play very, very, very badly for long periods of time. But they have the, the combinations and a group of individuals who are so good, particularly in concert, that they can seize the momentum from a team They can build on it and take advantage of what happens to a side when they see a lead diminish.
1: Well, let's just pause there for a moment for those who who are listening who don't watch Dortmund regularly. The reason I looked at that team and thought, wow, that's a mega team. How are they not winning Bundesliga? is because the lineup uh, was uh, Daniel Marlin on the right. We had Marco Reus on the left, Erling Haaland, uh, Julian Brandt and, of course, a young English player whose name now is... Jude Bellingham and Moda Hood in midfield. Jude Bellingham. Yeah, I mean it's like it's an incredible team. If, and I appreciate that they lost Sancho, as you, you mentioned over the week when we were chatting about it. So they lost Sancho, but uh, he was an attacking talent to replace Marlon with last season. That is that that the team of individual names there makes me quiver. With yeah, it.
2: but then there are still some names missing there. Obviously, Axel Fitzel made his comeback in this game, but he hasn't been regular this season. Uh, he's a big miss. Theo Delaney has left the club. I think I'm right saying Theo Delaney has left the club. And he's a big miss. But also, I think some of the biggest problems are in uh, central defence. They lost Mettie more the fullback. I know he probably wouldn't play in front of Meunier, but he's absent as a result of that awful injury, which if you didn't see, I'm begging you not to go and look up because it's just an awful thing mm. to see. But you have this problem at centre-half where you see Mats Hummels' name there, and you think, OK, bit of security hummels is kind of a declining force he's got a little bit of a pace a little bit of pace which actually um various members of the biomunic hierarchy seem to um, delight in announcing publicly every now and again they kind of offer this weird running commentary on Hummel's form and emery chan is playing as a kind of not emergency center half because uh, he's accomplished in the position and it's not you know it's not the same as sticking holland at center back i appreciate it but he's not an outright center half and yeah, yeah they're an incomplete side basically but the biggest problem is i just don't think that they have i don't think that kind of the marco rosa dortmund combination is quite taken off yet i'm very very unconvinced by as we say the system and let me give you a good example so a couple of couple of weeks before christmas they played grutherford at home they're kind of a norwich of the bundesliga they came up and they're a bit overmatched or they're badly overmatched and they're kind of in a kind of uh, sort of a cheerful to be here frame of mind so they're a whipping boy. so mm-hmm. you see when you have them at home on the fixture calendar you think right three points you whip that boy whipping boy not yeah you whip yeah i that was going to avoid when you see them you, the, the you you do you do we'll... you take out you you, you, you take out the yeah. riding crop and whoosh. yeah exactly that you, you whip exactly the boy. That. Yeah. yeah i mean i've just remembered this point that um obviously all of our expressions are visible at all times during this podcast which is you know not the the greatest thing for that segment yeah exactly anyway so uh, Dorman played them at the Westfalen Stadion before Christmas and they ended up winning 3-0 but they actually were whistled on on their own pitch for long periods of that game they were just rubbish absolutely rubbish Mm. and they had a kind of late run of goals which kind of saved things And a few nice little moments, a really great Holland header, and this is kind of characteristic of their season because they they rely too much on these individual moments, and unfortunately they're kind of able to. Brandt is a an outstanding player; I feel like he's really underrated. Um, But obviously, Holland, Bellingham, Marlin.
1: Can I just stop you there as well and say that they fit Joe Joe's football hair rule. They fit it perfectly. Best player has one haircut. One other player on the team has the same haircut. And in this instance, it appears to be Haaland and then Julian Brandt. And they both have their same haircut. I, I don't which, think I've know, ever... Not, it's not really the same. They just have the same hair I colour. I think and I've long. ever heard you express that
2: rule before. And I've known you for like Never seven years. Never heard my hair rule. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've heard the we've
3: hair talked rule about, before. Yeah. And we've it, and about it actually struck me when I watched the highlights. That, yeah. that
1: that was a thing. Um, Joe's hair rule never fails. And the hair rule, it doesn't matter what kind of hair it is. The, by the way, the hair rule is not about saying people should or shouldn't have any kind of hair. Have whatever hair you want. All fine by me. But the hair rule never fails. And the hair rule is that if the best player on the pitch, if there is a best player, they have a particular style of hair. And there will be at least one other player who has exactly the same kind of hair. And it's just sort of supporting hair.
3: Unless it's Southampton, in which case they all got exactly the same everyone
1: yeah it, that's the smallest version of it the biggest version of it Southampton a perfect example Southampton 2015 2016 everyone looked like they were yeah. an RAF fighter pilot from 1943 e- everyone looked like yeah. Adam Chambers basically. but you know De Bruyne Zinchenko everybody has the thing uh, it's 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 it's, yeah. it's, it's infallible yeah, yeah. okay um, anyway though Alex tell me about uh Frankfurt a little bit. They weren't very impressive in the first half, admittedly again I didn't see the second. But Rafael Borre uh, scoring a mm. scoring a brace in the first half there. Um they've also been very impressive recently, not just in this game. Yeah, and it was a lovely set piece from from Kostic. And and these
3: there's, there's a couple of players here that like Santos Borre we we talked about insensible transfers before. Like he had a short spell I think at Atletico Madrid that didn't work out, went back to River Plate, but he's He's a very, I'd say, Premier League slash Bundesliga style of forward. Like he's an aggressive presser of the ball. He gets into good positions. He's got a kind of physicality about him, which is fun to watch. I think Kostic is an interesting player as well because he's he's very much a left wing back rather than a left back. Like some of his one on one defending against Dortmund was not amazingly accomplished. Mm. He, he he has this tendency to sort of jump into challenges in a slightly Luke Shaw fashion where he throws a leg up on the off chance that it might hit the ball that's being crossed in rather than trying to actually square a man up and and defend the space but he he has a very very good delivery um, from set pieces and when the ball is moving and they've stuck to that kind of system Frankfurt they've had this system for quite some time now and it seems really polished I think it's an interesting point on Dortmund and and Seb your analogy with United as well that there are these teams that seem to, like, under, under Klopp and Tuchel, Dortmund were very systems. And then it felt like Favre was kind of a transitional coach who wanted to free up a little bit more of that individuality. And, and it's almost like teams exist on this spectrum where they're worried almost about being too systems orientated. Because then if you lose a couple of players, then sometimes that system can break down thinking like, I don't know, Sheffield United, for example, when they lost the two wide centre-backs. So they try and move towards a coach who's a bit more placed in the middle to encourage individuality and so on, but then they can go too far the other way and lose the structure altogether. And it feels like it's, it's a real conundrum for clubs, particularly clubs that have done well off the back of a particular style of play that requires a particular coach and and types of players to buy into that and execute it. Like Leeds coming up. You know, when when Bielsa leaves Leeds, there's going to be a period of adaptation as they move from a very, very systems-orientated team to a team that has to do things a little bit differently. How do you handle that transition? And it, it feels like, ironically, Dortmund haven't handled a transition well. That's a tactics joke for you there. Thank you. That was very very nice. That was that was excellent. It feels
2: as if I I do agree on the far point and the kind of slide away from systems football. I always just feel as if without the ball systems rule. Like I I don't really trust free form defending. I don't mind if a if a if a team has a group of uh, super smart attacking players who want to kind of ad lib their way through counter attacks mm-hmm. and you know the problem for Dortmund if you look at the type of goals they've conceded this season and actually Sati was a really good example because it's a great ball from Kostić yes but you shouldn't concede that goal because it, the ball should never get that far the second goal they conceded is really, really bad isn't it and it, it was a kind of <laughs> yeah but, it's, it, but it 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 was perfectly descriptive of their situation without the ball there's no yeah. order there's no there's just a lot of people trying to do things instinctively and that's where you need the system that's i think that's where the system protects you especially when you've got a lot of absentees it doesn't solve that problem i i accept that it just it offers
3: a level of security that you otherwise probably don't have so yeah Uh, you're you're preaching to the converted there but but you've got with with german football particularly they you know the the idea that that football exists during the course of the game in in four distinct phases that kind of roll into one another so defense transition to attack attack transition back to defense if you're thinking about football in that way you can't divorce the two you can't have a like a here is my tight system for defense and then once we go into transition to attack and attack it's all vibes and we do whatever we like and we all run around and it's kind of fun but then we've got to get back into a tight defensive structure when that transition like you can't do that it doesn't make any sense
2: i think you can have roles though like i think you can have i i do agree it's just that if you individualise what we mean here by system, which I know sounds like a contradiction in terms, but if you think about, say, you, your two centre halves and you, your deepest midfielder, like what is my function on the pitch? That's the kind of that's the the first building block, the foundation of defending. It feels like that's missing at Dortmund,
3: which is, I suppose, a different saying. Like, um, yeah. Oh no, no, I'm I'm agreeing with you. We're not we're not we're not disagreeing here. I, ju- I think that that's that's the problem is that when you try to yeah. When you try to free up your attackers to play in a much more vibesy way, you're automatically reducing your ability to defend systematically because part of the ability, particularly with counter pressing teams, part of the ability to then throng around the ball once it's lost is based on a system. Like good pressing is entirely systemic. Otherwise, it doesn't work. It just becomes chasing after
2: the it's ball. It's also got to be dependent on the security behind the press, which is something that kind of the mm-hmm.
3: which Klopp really nailed. Yeah. And that's one of the things, interestingly, that Bellingham has been praised for improving in his game is rather than just running up to try and squeeze the ball down as a counter press on his own, he's learned to be more astute about when to stand off, when not to lunge in for a tackle. And that feels like a development that was positive last season and maybe is falling off a little bit this season. But I haven't watched enough of him recently to confirm that.
2: I wonder a little bit whether G Bellingham has acquired a little bit too much responsibility for how that team plays. Um, obviously, uh, all roads lead to Erling Haaland and probably Marco Royce, But Bellingham is such a good player in so many different ways. That it becomes, and I don't think this is a problem specific to Dortmund or even Marco or I think it's just a temptation of a talent as it flourishes. Is that you don't try and contain it, and you have a player that's popping up everywhere and doing all sorts of things. And actually, one of the my my takeaway from this game, with especially with Bellingham and Holland, was just they love getting in the face of opposition players. Love it, love it, love it. And they always do it in English. Bellingham, of course, you would expect, but it seems that Erling Haaland's shithousing language is English. He was obviously born in Manchester. There was a moment where Dortmund were running down the clock in the corner and they were just booting the ball against defenders' legs uh, to win more corners and to to kill the time. And I I think it was Boré actually um, tried to kind of have a go and have a bit of a chirp at um, at Haaland. And just to show what a kind of um, talented shithouse he is, he actually started, you know, snarking him in Spanish. There's a rather kind of, uh, there's a picture of him uh, speaking to him in Spanish, and I'm not sure what the podcast friendly way of saying this is, but gesturing at his own testicles. The testicle it's gesture? Literally yes. what happened. So, Holland. Uh, sure, yeah. The, the, yeah, exactly. The, uni- <laughs> the universal sign of disrespect. Yeah. <laughs> but Bellingham has this too, and Be- Bellingham is, like, for all his, his wonderful qualities and his technical abilities, he is a nasty little player too, which I, I, I quite like. I quite like about him. Um, He's aggressive and combative and um, he's kind of got that self-preservation element to his football, which
1: is, um, yeah, he knows how to look after himself. There we go. I like it. Uh, Well, we're just going to go for another quick break. And when we come back, we'll uh, carry on talking about Bundesliga.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear
1: Ah, yes. One other team, one other game, I should say, we have down here to discuss. RB Leipzig, 4-1 Mainz. Now, this is interesting for non-Bundesliga regular viewers. Seb, RB Leipzig in ninth place, 25 points in the Bundesliga at the moment, which is 12 off Dortmund in second, 18 off Bayern in first. It's not the position in the table that I would expect them to be at this point in the season. Explain, please.
2: Yeah, so things were very, very up and down under Jesse Marsh. Um, so the starting point really is that Leipzig lost an awful lot of talent over the summer, lost those two centre-halves in like Mikano and Kanate, everybody knows about that. Also lost Sabitzer, who was very, very important to them just because of, I suppose, his identity of football and his technical qualities, but also uh, much as we've just been speaking about Bellingham, there was a aggression and a personality to Sabitzer, which uh, was very, very important. Lost him. Obviously lost Julian Lagelsmann off to Bayern Munich and Jesse Marsh comes in. And Jesse Marsh, it's it's a very difficult conversation because there were times when I was watching Jesse Marsh's Leipzig and I thought, this is quite a good team. And typically, though, those would be moments where you'll be attacking football. I mean, just in my opinion, one of the problems they had was they could press and they could counter. But they were really, really bad at protecting themselves as they went forward. I don't know whether this was a system problem or a result of a new makeshift uh, centre-back combination. Mohamed Simikin has been a regular starter this season. He's a good player, but he's still learning the game a little bit, certainly at this level, because he's new to it. And I don't know, I I think Jesse Marsh got this job at the wrong time. Uh, One of the interesting things about this discussion is that we just finished talking about Eintracht Frankfurt, and they are now uh, coached by Oliver Glasner, former Wolfsburg head coach. And Glasner was one of the people who was at least in the conversation to become Leipzig's head coach. Didn't get the job. Went to Marsh, and I think there were there were better times for Jesse Marsh to get that job. Easier times when you weren't replacing so many pieces. And Leipzig for a lot of the season looked like a team in transition. They had holes and gaps, and their football uh, lacked some of the synonyms which have developed during the Red Bull era. And uh, yeah, this was this was really encouraging for all the opposite reasons. If you hadn't watched a Leipzig game since Nagelsmann left and you just turned
1: on your TV to watch this, you'd think nothing had changed. Sure. Nobody left, nobody, you know, and it was very, very... Well, worth pointing out for the sake of context that Mainz were one place above them in the league table. So a 4-1 victory, this uh, this pragmatic, probably suggestive that Leipzig are lower than they should be.
2: Well, yes, they are. But also the, the moment which changed this game was Mainz had a man sent off for a deliberate handball on his line. But, and, and I understand that places the, the match in a, and the result in a context, but... It came from a really nice press from andre Silva. leipzig getting bodies uh, forward quickly and vertically to support the press and to support the break and hack was left with no choice but to i don't think he, it was deliberate but it, it clearly prevented a goal so it was rightfully a red card but then what what leipzig did from that point on was real quality so there was some real progress shown like all four goals were counter-attacking really the penalty was a result of one but if you see The speed of, first of all, the ball recovery and then how quickly the ball moves forward as a result of that. And then the third part of that is when you look at the point at which the goal is scored, how many attacking players are actually in support of that? For the second goal, I think Leipzig got players forward to to construct a five on four for the and that was scored by Dominic Soboslay for the fourth goal scored by Andre Silva it was a 5-on-3 and you're seeing players work really 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 hard and this is kind of a Jurgen Kloppism like you're, you're trying to outrun players and it's an obviously a as well and Leipzig have it and there are imperfections and there are problems with defence and they've got Bayern in a couple of weeks and Sociedad in February too, and so they aren't back it's just you can see the Bayern under Domenico Tedesco and you can see before Christmas, they had three games under him where they just looked... They looked confused. A lot of group of players who had had to take too much instruction and were just overwhelmed mm-hmm. this was the first time i've watched them where i thought okay this is the beginning of a new direction and it is convincing so it was it was really good mine's mine's are a good side by the way they just never really recovered from losing hack in the first half and they weren't willing to make any compromise they still pressed, they were still aggressive and it kind of cost them they sort of went down swinging so to speak and i, I do recommend anybody who gets a chance watches uh both Vincent's mines because they're a, they're a fun fun watch but okay. this, was, this was about Leipzig and they were good. Very, very good.
1: Alex, we've heard uh, Leipzig, you know, had a bit of a talent drain uh, uh, over the summer already. There are other players that um, lots of international teams will be interested in, or teams internationally, I should say, would be interested in.
3: Oh, yes. There's obviously Nkuku, who came on the, the touch where he gathers the ball and then sort of cuts it back inside for Sobazai to score, was delightful. And he's just a really great player. Like, I there's... There's not many... I don't tend to get excited by attacking players. It's not really in my nature to find that kind of thing fun. But he is brilliant. Everything he does is good. And he puts an incredible amount of effort and energy into, like Seb was saying, getting up and supporting those attacks. He has the technical capability to execute what he's doing at high speed and that's high speed in terms of how he's running and how the players around him are running but also in terms of processing the position of opposition players really quickly he's he just like there's there's just nothing that he seems to do that isn't very good there's also uh Tyler Adams there who I think is a really interesting player he's he's quite a versatile i mean he's sort of like a central midfielder by default but he can play deeper he can also play as a right back and that kind of high-energy, pressing style of play, but also this ability to carry it forwards a little bit, he gives Leipzig that kind of platform, I think, to to be able to get those players forward. Like Seb says, if you're, if you're committing a lot of players forwards in attack or to counter-press, you need to have a structure behind it. I did get annoyed with the way that Simican continued to appeal for the offside for the Mainz goal. Rather than drop his hand and <laughs> close down the play, who ultimately got the ball. But that's just a minor grouch. Simikin's going to be a good player. He's a little rash at times. But uh, oh, Alcatraz yeah. and Adams. Yeah, no, we talked about him as a sensible transfer thing when he was at Strasbourg. And Strasbourg are one of those clubs that produces. Not just the occasional, but like some genuinely good players, like Ludovic Azurk is There, Anthony Katche is moving somewhere to Germany. I think I can't remember exactly, but but he was one of the like the young prospects that was coming off that Strasbourg line and was really interesting. So but he he will be good. So the Adams thing is 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 uh,
2: quite intriguing because so on on Saturday, one of the one of the the problems posed by Mainz is that. Even with 10 men, they weren't willing to deviate from, you know, both Svensson's ideas of how to play the game, which is very straightforward, very, very vertical and very quick. And Adams had a few really good moments in the construction of goals because he, uh, he created the second kind of inadvertently. He was a little bit fortunate with a long ball, but he also created the, uh, I think, I think he was responsible for, for beginning the move, which ended in the Nkunku goal, the third Leipzig goal. Um, and, there was a moment probably about 35 minutes in where uh minds are still absolutely dead set on going forward and leipzig had been caught probably with about five players pressing and there was a ball played vertically quite close to the right hand touchline, and adams was in there anticipating it and making the interception and that's what kind of what we mean about having that lock at the back in that you need to have a
1: player there who can see a few plays ahead lovely okay uh before we do a couple of little uh, uk related transfers Roma 3 for Juventus, or in other words, Seb's monthly opportunity to make fun of Mourinho, I would assume this is. Unless, of course, Alex, you pop this in the plan and I'm surprising myself. Uh, No, no, I I didn't. I didn't watch it. go ahead and moan. (laughs) It
2: was extraordinary. Roma played very very well actually uh, Roma had an excellent hour and scored three nice goals but one in particular from Lorenzo Pellegrini it was just a beautiful free kick from 25 yards mm. up, down, over the wall, top corner fabulous and then I don't know what like you, you would the assumption would be looking at the scoreline Juventus end up winning 4-3 you think oh well, Mourinho just um, dropped all his players You
1: said Roma were up 3-1 at one point yeah
2: they were and wow. they were
1: they, they, were worth it they
2: were, they were excellent they played really really well and they obviously lost to Milan, and that was a bad result. And this was the perfect response to it. And then yeah. the the bottom fell out of it because. And you'd expect it to be a kind of oh well with a three one lead, Mourinho is just gonna uh, drop everybody behind the ball and start like you know they're gonna have like thirty six percent possession that kind of thing, and then just invite waves of pressure. It wasn't like that at all. Uh, Roma actually had pretty decent control of the ball. It's just every time Juventus came forward, they looked incredibly vulnerable. It looked like one of those where. The wounds of what happened in the Europa League haven't quite healed and Juventus didn't play particularly well, I didn't think, but somehow ended up winning 4-3. Roma also missed a penalty to make it 4-4, which it was a penalty, definite handball against yeah. Delict. You know, that's another discussion point, what's happened to him. But it's, um, yeah, I think that leaves Roma six points off the Champions League
1: places. And actually nine currently nine uh, 32 points um, in seventh place in fourth at Atlanta with forty one points right, um, okay. and actually one game fewer played so it's potentially yeah. uh, the Mourinho project at the moment not looking so hot I mean that's damaging for their Champions League hopes isn't it
2: Yeah I don't I don't think it's sort of it's a disaster It's just there's no consistency to it and I think you know I'm, I'm will happily jump all over Jose Mourinho as and when but I don't think that point is quite now. <laughs> I just think there's something in this Roma team that needs curing at the moment and it's a I don't know I don't know what it is
1: um, it seems psychological as much as anything yeah. Well, let me put it this way they're conceding more goals than the teams above them, yeah and they're scoring fewer that's a very succinct analysis Football. yes exactly thank you yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you on the other hand, vital win—maybe not vital, but very important win for, Ju- for Juventus, who are also outside of the top four. Uh, Serie A top four at the moment: Inter, AC, Napoli, Atalanta. I- incidentally, uh, this week, I believe on Thursday, we're releasing on Tifa IRL a very fun video in which JJ sits down with James Horncastle, the Athletic Serie A specialist, um, and we go through the table. I believe the video is entitled something like "So You've Missed Half of Serie A." This is, you know, this is what you need to know. With James Horncastle and JJ, but it's a shorter title than that. Anyway, but the, the point is that's good fun. Juventus in fifth place, twenty-one games played, thirty-eight points. Atlanta could open a five-point gap if they uh, if they win their nay six-point gap if they win the next game.
2: Hey, don't write, don't do don't, um, don't don't rule out Fiorentina. So they um, so we're recording. I think they're playing at mm-hmm. five o'clock on Monday, CT So we we're obviously recording before then. But they're playing very very well, and they're not just the goals of Dejan Vlahovic.
1: Um, they also have two games in hand on most of the
2: teams. Yeah, squad. so uh, they're playing pretty well. Um, they've also signed Jonathan Nkone, uh, which is really interesting. He was a, a player that uh, I know Alex likes as well. Uh, I can't wait to see him play for Fiorentina. Someone we won't be seeing playing for Juventus anytime soon is Federico Chiesa. He has done his ACL, which is awful oh news. Oh, dear. Because I love, I love yes, watching man. Chiesa. I think it's great. But um, yeah. that is very, very damaging for a Juventus team who really aren't playing all that well, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, so that's this season, right? That is probably not, at least this season, season. Most, of, yeah, a little bit of next season too. So we'll see him probably a year. I don't know. I don't know how long this uh, things take anymore.
3: Yeah. And for such an well, explosive player who relies yeah. on that ability to generate bursts of pace, that's devastating. you worry about them coming back? That's what you mean. That yeah. is what I yeah. mean. Yes.
1: That's what you mean. Well, best wishes to Federico Chiesa. All of the best from TIFO. Do recover well, good sir. A couple more things I wanted to talk about before we finish now, rounding up. Uh, Coutinho (laughs) appears to have signed or is signing for Aston Villa. Also, Lucadinha. These two, the Coutinho are a little bit less uh, surprising uh, just because there's obviously the Gerard connection now um, and uh, Coutinho was definitely going to go somewhere. I'm sure Barcelona are absolutely delighted that he's going to go somewhere. Um, I haven't looked at the specifics of the deal. If indeed it's occurred yet, I have no idea, but it's certainly heavily It's needed.
2: a 6 months loan. It's been completed and
1: um, right. Coutinho has taken a pay cut to complete it. So. Right. Yeah. And do we know what proportion of the wages that I, Aston Villa I are don't, paying? We don't no, know. no. I'd be curious to know that. But um very interested, uh, Alex, to see what you think about that. I mean, is, does Coutinho still have it? I mean, I would have thought one of the issues is that he hasn't played enough in the last couple of years for us to really get to grips with his ability now. Well, I mean, it kind of almost feels like
3: that's been the case since that, like, 2013-14 season when he was quite good. Sure, Has he yeah. actually put consistent minutes together anywhere? Um, He's had pop- half seasons. I think yeah, is, well, that's is, not yeah. consistent. No, it's, um, it's, I guess, I guess the issue with him is that he he wants to be the guy at whichever club that he's he's playing at. He he wants things yeah. to go through him. He considers himself. There was that classic thing with Klopp where he considered himself to be a ten, and Klopp was like, "You're not really that. You know, you're 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 actually very good at these other things." And he was like, "No, I'm a ten. So I I guess it'll be interesting to see that the dynamic where a manager is managing a player that he has played with is always interesting. Uh, A manager managing a player that he's played with who has that view of himself will be even more so. I think it'll be a real test of Gerard's ability to man-manage. And I also think it's the kind of thing where, you know, like... When Villa had Grealish in that sort of creative inside left role where a lot of play went through him and, and he was the conduit for most of what they did well with the help of John McGinn, that actually seemed to work quite well for Villa. It could be that Coutinho is going to be able to do that, but like you say, there's yeah. good. there has to be a caveat around how much he's played, so...
1: Bit of a tough one for Emi Buendia as well, Seb, who's only really just joined in the summer. It's not impossible to see how they could play together, but it's it's a little bit more complicated.
2: Yeah, it is tricky. But then, if you look at sort of Villa's performance and you see the lack of shots, um, the lack of progressive passes into the penalty box, and you see what Philip Coutinho is still really good at, I suppose it's pretty easy to spin him as an as an answer to things that Villa can't quite do.
3: Buendia's best seasons were off the right anyway for Norwich.
1: Yeah, well, then the other problem is. That I think that just I think that just happened to be because of that. That was the formation that they were playing in the championship, uh, and as part of that system, that's where he best fit. I I, I think uh, not to say that those aren't his best numbers when he's been in those positions, but I definitely see him more as a ten. He just I think he just hasn't had a, a season where he's had the opportunity to, um, to show that necessarily. It's he a, has all the qualities.
2: Yeah, but it's a difficult one, isn't it? Though, because if 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 Coutinho has a good six months, then there's going to be a lot of pressure on Villa to make this a permanent deal in the summer. Um, they're not going to face a lot of resistance from Barcelona in doing that. I wouldn't have thought. No. Um, and then, and then, I, I suppose, <laughs> hefty uh, bit of encouragement, perhaps. Well, then, when, once once you once you sign a player like that, uh, then you, you're kind of you go down this path of having to basically construct your attacking midfield around them. So that would be very very bad news for Emi Bondier. Also, um, Leon Bailey, who can't stay fit, uh, which is a real shame because I love watching Leon Bailey. But you'd imagine that well, he's always going to play right or left. He's not going to play centrally. So um, yeah. you're kind of left with Wendy playing from the left potentially, yeah. which is it's difficult. But I get what they have done. It's not. I know people have said oh, it's just Gerard bringing a mate in, but uh, that's not true at all. I, there's a very sound, football sure. logic behind it. And um, I
1: well, I mean, predictions. Then I mean, the, the, these sorts of loans can go one way or another. I'd like to hear you both a thumb up or a thumb down, please. No middle ground. Uh, it's a thumb up from me okay uh, it's a thumb up I think I'll have an excellent six weeks and then fade
3: so what okay. is, well, is that just basically 45 done a middle thumb. I degrees just, or? I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I just ruled that out I have middle so ground you that yeah out. middle ground no
1: you can't do that you, Not yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. you said you think it's a thumb up uh, I sorry, I I'll, it's I'll it's thumb up them. thumb up yeah, yeah. fine yep. mine is a middle thumb I think I, I, I haven't decided um, <laughs> <laughs> what Lucadenia is the other one uh, apparently all the rumors all the rumors and reports at the moment are, are, are linking him and saying that he's agreed personal terms with Aston Villa Aston Villa gonna beat uh, other clubs such as Chelsea to the signature although I mean again these things are uh, who could say whether these things are true or not um, this is a slightly odd one isn't it
3: or is it mm, it's well yeah it's odd to me because I think Luca Dean's really good so do I but I also think that um, the, I can understand leaving Everton. Not not terrific news for Matt Target,
1: is it really? Well, that but, that's the
3: other thing. Like Target has been sort of underratedly good in an annoying way since he left Southampton, and you know, I think I think Villa Villa generate quite a lot coming through their fullbacks, Cash on the right and Target on the left, and it. So from a systems point of view, it makes sense because Dinia is an upgrade on Target. But then, I don't know why Dinia wouldn't be going somewhere better than Aston Villa, with all due respect. to to Aston Villa,
2: no, indeed. Um, well, so I mean, major. I think Villa are affluent enough to offer great wages. I think uh, I think the Villa project is quite exciting. I don't imagine it would be that difficult to convince someone playing someone who's been disenfranchised from Rafa Benitez, Everton, to join Villa. And also, like the Chelsea thing, Chelsea want a, a temporary solution. I mean, they're trying to recall Emerson from Leon, and you know, to to fill in for Ben Chilwell.
1: I guess the point is, though, if it goes through. Regardless of the context and the, the scenario, Filler have, have got themselves a fantastic, definitely. Player. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's a real like it's a sort of deal that I feel like outside of the context that you've just provided, Seb would not happen, and therefore is a is a steal. He's a really yeah, yeah, good yeah. player. Like good okay. set piece taker as well good
3: set piece taker he's, he's the sort of player who you when you think about probably because he's been playing in such a shonky everton side for a while when you think about the best left backs in the premier league you don't automatically think of him um but he's absolutely up there
1: yeah no for sure okay well there we go that's the end of the Tifa football podcast for this week uh seb Steffa bloor danke schön na fide vielen dank Herr Devine. tschüss Yes, and Alex Stewart, bye. Yeah, that'll do, bye. Fine, yeah. Yeah. We'll be back next week with more. Uh, More AFCON and whatever else is happening at that time. Uh, Exciting stuff. Um, Keep an eye out on uh, Tifa IRL this week for some fun video releases and on the Illustrated channel. Uh, And uh, thanks to you for listening. Hope everyone's new year is just going just fine. Goodbye.